Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we have one more thing that uh, I want to do just before I preach, and uh, it was just a total joy to welcome a whole lot of people into membership last week, but we've got more people to welcome into membership today. So if you, uh, you know who you are, if you're welcoming, being welcomed into membership, won't you come quickly and uh, we come up and join me on the stage. Let's give them a round of applause as they come. You just set up the microphone for their songs. No, I'm joking. Okay, come quickly, guys. Great. Don't give a microphone to Angel. Okay. <laughs> come, come, come. We'll try and space ourselves out. There you go. All right. Wonderful. So uh, aren't these amazing... Sitsofe, I thought you were coming. Huh? Come, Sitsofe. Is there anyone else? Is Abby here? Is Abby serving with the kids? Oh, my goodness. Can someone run and call Abby, Abby quickly? I love this church. You, you can never find the people joining because they're serving. Huh? Uh, but uh, yeah, wonderful. So we just absolutely love uh, getting to know new people and welcoming them into membership. And every single time we do that, um, each of these people are on a journey with Jesus. That, that's the thing that really joins us together, isn't it? We are joined together by our common journey uh, following Jesus. And uh, so I just want to uh, introduce you uh, one by one so that you can go and grab them later on today and uh, just say welcome and give them the warmest fist pump ever. Is she coming? Okay, great. So this is Ian and Gerda, and uh, it's so great to welcome them into membership. They just absolutely dived in right from the word go, and it's just wonderful to have you guys, and uh, welcome. And you met Angel this morning, and you will meet Angel again and again, but Angel and Stefano, uh, they got married earlier this year, and Stefano's been already serving us so amazingly in the worship uh, band, and Angel is uh, already serving us at the back. Uh, if you join the church, you're going to get serving. Do you see the pattern, huh? And uh, you guys have just been an absolute joy, and we're so excited about the journey that God's got you on, so praise God and bless you. Amen. <clears throat> This is KG, and you'll say, yeah, but KG's been here forever, and some, maybe you're in KG's position where you've never done Get Connected, and you've never actually joined the church, and I would love you to do what KG's done. So well done, KG. Earlier this year, if you know me, sometimes the dial is on challenge, and I challenged KG to make space after work and whatever to be uh, in Get Connected, and you did it. So well done, it's lovely to welcome him into membership today. Bless you. And just like last week, I said that Kaylee uh, um, tried twice to join the church. Well, Donnie and Marlene also tried twice because they did get connected and then COVID. And then they did get connected again and praise God. And in between, they got married and all sorts of things. So <laughs> praise God. Wonderful to have you guys. Bless you. Mdu, uh, Mdu has uh, this year, just a few months ago, hey. Mdu lives just over there, and, uh, and the prophecy over this building was that people would hear worship, they would walk up the hill, 
and they'd come to know Jesus, and they'd join, join the community, and that is them do story, hey, and it's, so it's wonderful on a journey with Jesus, and uh, we look forward to continuing to, to, to shape him. Sitsofe, it's lovely to, to welcome Sitsofe and Kateko over there, wave Kateko, they are married, but Kateko hasn't been able to do get connected yet, so I said to him this morning, you guys are, are one uh, uh, in Jesus, uh, but we still want to do get connected later with, with, with Kateko, so it's so fair, it's so lovely to welcome you into membership today. Did you work last night? Okay, she works at an all-night call center, and so sometimes she's like got matches under her eyes, but I'm so glad that you were able to be here this morning. Bless you. It's lovely to have you. Abby and Alex, why don't you come up? And two young ladies that are also following the pattern of already serving in a million different ways, but today we get to welcome them into membership. And Abby, it's so lovely to, to welcome you to membership today. Abby uh, has been part of our church for ages, serves our children. And Abby, you're joining in your own capacity because you love Jesus, and we're so excited about that. So bless you. It's lovely to welcome you, Abby. And then my own daughter, huh? You think, do the pastor's kids have to join the church? Absolutely. Alex, I'm so proud of you, and I love you so much, and I love the way you love Jesus. Amen. So let's, uh, let's just stretch out our hands. Why don't you stand, stretch out your hands. You guys can close your eyes and just receive a blessing from your family. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for every single one of these people. Thank you for the guys who joined last week. Thank you for the guys who are still in process and joining us, Lord God. Lord, we, we are so blessed by joining our stories with their stories. And so, Lord, we want to say thank you. We thank you that you see them individually. You see them uniquely. You form them perfectly in their mother's wombs. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord God, Lord, would you continue to grow them in their love for you and their love for one another. We ask that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys. I think you've clapped so much this morning, you're going to be stiff, huh, tomorrow. So, uh, what a joy. My first thing in my notes here is get Keegan up here and speak about Keegan, but, but we've done that. So, uh, if you've got your Bible, uh, you can open up to uh, Luke chapter 3. Um, we're going to, we, we are out of chapter 2. Can you believe it? We're out of chapter 2 in Luke, and uh, we're in chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the first nine verses this morning. The title for my message is The Gift of Repentance. The Gift of Repentance. Let's uh, read, uh, starting in verse 1, we're just going to read two verses, then I want to pause, say something, then we'll carry on. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judah, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, the tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Before we get to the bulk of what I want to say about repentance, I, I just believe it's worth noting how Luke is so careful to place this moment that we're about to read about uh, John the baptizer, he's so careful to place it in history correctly. 
And so what he does here is he effectively timestamps. You know, when you uh, take a photo, there's the, your device timestamps that photo. He effectively timestamps what he's about to say about John the baptizer by mentioning five Roman rulers who were, if you look up in your history books, they were the Caesar, the Tetrarch, they were, the, they were these people in history. If you read other histories, you'll find these people in history, and you'll know, oh, this is the moment that, that Luke is writing about. And so he timestamps this chapter with five Roman officials and two Jewish leaders the current high priest and the high priest who had been the high priest and was still alive but wasn't the current high priest. Why does he do this and why is this so important for us? Right at the start of this message, I just want to make a, a side note before we get to repentance. The reason why something like this is so important for us is this. The Bible that you hold in your hand or the Bible that you read on a screen can be trusted. It is authentic. It can be trusted. It can be trusted because it is a historical document. It, it's a document that is verified by many, many other historical documents that have got nothing to do with the Christian faith. And so it really matters to Luke here, and hence it's in his intro for, for chapter 3, and it also matters to those of us who believe that the Bible is an authentic historical document. I mean, you don't want your whole faith to be built around the Bible, and then the Bible's not even real, because then you're a fool. And so it really matters that the Bible is authentic. You see, from a literary perspective, the Bible is the most remarkable and most reliable collection of ancient writings that exists. It was authored by 40 people and one God over 1,600 years. And yet, even though it was a book that took 1,600 years to write and was written by 40 people, it has one unified message about who God is and His plan for salvation through Jesus Christ. It is the most remarkable book on the planet. It is the most reliable piece of ancient literature that is known to humankind. In fact, if you study that, there are remarkable things about this book. One commentator called F.F. F. Bruce says this, There is no body of ancient literature in the world that enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. There is no other book that has sold more copies. There's no other book that has been written, uh, translated into more languages. There's no other book that is more reliable than the Bible in terms of all ancient literature. Why is that important? Well, I don't know where you are in your faith journey. I don't know whether you follow Jesus forever or whether you are just thinking about faith and if you're just on an early journey in faith. But what I want you to know this morning is that the Bible can be trusted. You can base your life on the Bible. You could say that in its original manuscripts, the, his, the Bible is the historical, authentic, inerrant, and authoritative Word of God. And because of that, it is not only necessary, but it is also sufficient for every person to know what they need to know to have faith in God and to know about God's offer of salvation through Jesus for every person on the planet. 
And so it's just two verses, but I felt like we need to just recognize that the Bible is so, so authentic and able to be trusted because that's what we as a church base our whole church and our lives around. Amen? And so if you're on a journey towards Jesus Christ, you want to find out about God, the Bible's the book to read. And if you already know God, the Bible's the book to read. Because the Bible, I'm going to do a book review. The Bible. And I'm going to get Angel to come and tell you about it. No, I'm joking. The Bible is the book that you can base your whole life on. Amen. So let's jump into verse 3. So this is John the baptizer, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet about 800 years before John, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John is introduced by Luke in the same way that the Old Testament prophets were announced often. Um, You'll see that if you read the Old Testament. Luke announces him in verse 2. He says, the word of the Lord came to John of Zechariah. That's exactly how, uh, how we read it in Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. The word of the Lord, that is a, a, like a, a flag saying this is one of the Old Testament prophets. And John's ministry was actually prophesied about six times by the prophet Isaiah. If you read the book of Isaiah, there are six references to John the baptizer preparing the way for the Lord. Malachi in Malachi 3.1 also prophesied about John the baptizer 400 years before him that he would prepare the way for the Lord. John's ministry to prepare the way for the Lord was also spoken by the angel to his father Zechariah when he didn't even know that he was going to have a son. And he came and he said, he will prepare the way of the Lord. And so then John comes, about 30 years after Zechariah, and he's a mysterious man in the wilderness. I think he's a bit of a scary guy, actually, and he has a message from God for God's people. In one sense, he's like the classic Old Testament prophet, because the big idea that he's calling is he's calling people to repent, to turn back to God. And John can see, be seen, therefore, as like a link between your Old Testament and the New Testament era of salvation through Jesus. He is like the last of the Old Testament prophets declaring, it says in Luke 3, 6 in the NLT, all people will see the salvation that is sent from God. He, he is calling people to see that God is asking them to repent and to see that God's plan for salvation is none other than Jesus Christ. And so John's role was to prepare the people for Jesus. That was his role. His role was a preparatory one. And so in verse 3 and in verse 8, he prepared people by calling them to repentance. So verse 3 says, he proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And in verse 8, it says, we'll get to it later, but he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And so what is this message of John's 
that he was calling people to turn back to God and to repent of their sins. He was, he was telling them, do that and then get baptized to show that you had in fact done that, that you had repented of your sins and you turned to God, then get physically baptized to show that you had actually done that. And so John is one who is preparing the way for Jesus, and his message of repentance is actually the message that Jesus came with when Jesus started preaching. Uh, Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, says this, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe in the gospel. And so John was calling people, repent, turn back to God, and he was preparing the way for Jesus who came and said the same thing. I am the gospel, I am the announcement of the gospel, repent and believe, turn back to God. So can you see how John was kind of preparing the way? He was cutting the bush in front of Jesus for Jesus to come after him. And so because of this call from John to prepare people by calling them to repent, I want to take this opportunity to just double click on this thing, which I'm going to call one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given us, which is repentance. And so the rest of this message is going to be looking at what is repentance and how do we do it? And then we're going to break bread and there's going to be an opportunity for you to repent even today, but to not just do it today, but to live a lifestyle of repentance. Because that's what John the Baptizer called for us to do and it's what Jesus himself called us to continue doing. So let's jump straight into that and let's start by asking the question, what is repentance? Let's define repentance. When I think of repentance, I think Repentance is ultimately a change of heart, it's a change of mind that leads to a corresponding change of life. So it's something that starts inside, but it ends up on the outside, it ends up in a changed life. You could also say that there's an element of repentance that is about the trajectory of your life. It's a turning back to God, which is the Old Testament concept of repentance, return to me and I will return to you. So repentance is a change of mind and heart that leads to a corresponding change of life, and repentance is a turning back to God. Isaiah the prophet, uh, God spoke through him in Isaiah 44, he says to his people, I've blotted out your sins like a cloud, your sins is like a mist, it's, it's gone away, return to me. I've redeemed you. And through Zechariah, the prophet God said, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. If you return to me, I will return to you. So repentance is a turning away from a lifestyle or a path or a trajectory in your life that was away from God. Do you know that feeling sometimes where you're just walking, you know, we, we call it Wreck Road Church, the Jesus journey, but sometimes you're walking on another road. Do you know that feeling? Have you ever done that? I've done that. Where you're actually just, you're going another way. Repentance is saying, turn back to God. Your trajectory needs to change. And the amazing thing is, it says in that Zechariah prophecy, that if we just start to turn to God, He turns to us too. 
He meets us. He matches us. He, he welcomes our turning. We can know that if we ever repent, if we ever turn our trajectory back towards God, if we turn our hearts to God, we're not having to be unaware. We, 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 we don't have to uh, wonder whether He will accept us. We don't have to turn thinking, I hope He accepts me. No, the Bible says, if you turn to me, I will return to you. Repentance starts, brothers and sisters, in the realm of our hearts. It's not primarily an action on the outside. You know, I, I took the cup, I took the bread, I repented. No, it starts inside. If you do actions that are external that aren't matched by an internal, it means nothing. Repentance starts in our heart, but then it does result in, a, in, in manifested change of heart and action and attitudes. You will see, if there's true repentance inside, you will see it on the outside. And we're going to see that later on in verse 8. So both John and Jesus are calling people to repent. And yet I was thinking about it. If, if, you, if you're honest, many Christians have a negative view of, a ne negative experience of repentance. It's kind of like, ooh, he's preaching about repentance. It feels like it's heavy. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's like it's this heavy thing. Like, I mean, rather talk about grace. You know, repentance is a serious message. And I think that's probably because it's uncomfortable for us, because we have to acknowledge that something's wrong if we're repenting. But today, I want you to go away with one big idea, and it's this. Repentance is a gift from God to you and me. And there are amazing things on the other side of unwrapping that gift. Hallelujah. And so let's get really practical and let's ask, okay, cool. So if repentance is a gift, how do I repent? And I'm going to be, this is lame. I'm going to use the words, the letters of repent to try and help you to remember. And I've had to use a little bit of like preaching license every now and then, you know what I mean? Just to squeeze it into the words, in the, in, in, you know, but you'll be, you'll be gracious towards me, okay? So how do you repent? Just remember the letters in the word repent. Firstly, R, recognize your sin. Recognize, identify, acknowledge, own. Yes, that was me, I did it. Recognize your sin. That's where repentance starts. It starts with actually saying, I did it. That is me. And I'm actually going to use the whole way through looking at this thing of what is repentance or how to repent. I'm going to use David as an example because there's the most remarkable psalm in Scripture. The Bible is so honest about David's life and he, how he, he really messed up his life. And it's all recorded, so we're going to use David as an example of how to repent. So on each of these letters, we're going to reference his story. And I'm not, we don't have time to go into the whole David story, but we're reading 1 and 2 Samuel in the next two months, and so we're going to read his story. But David got to a place where he sinned sexually with Bathsheba. And at first, he didn't R. He didn't recognize his sin. He was carrying on as if things were okay. He was blind in a sense, you could say, to his sin. But in the grace of God, one day, God spoke to a prophet called Nathan, 
And God through Nathan said, David, you have done this. And in an instant, David went from not really seeing his sin or the seriousness of it to suddenly going, uh. and we read that in 2 Samuel 12, 13. He suddenly says, I've sinned before you. I've sinned against the Lord, he says. He didn't say that at first, but when God sent the prophet Nathan, he suddenly saw his sin. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know how to repent, the first step is to recognize your sin. Things you've done, things you've thought, your motives, the things inside in the heart, the actions on the outside, we need to recognize our own sin. Otherwise, we will never get to the gift of repentance. You see, we tend to hide our sin, don't we? That's why when people end up in a trajectory away from Jesus, they also stop coming to church. We, we hide our sin. We, we try to turn the, the volume down. We turn the lights out. We try to minimize it or we try to justify it or explain it or we act like it doesn't really matter. But brothers and sisters, if you want the gift of God called repentance and the fruit of repentance, you have to do the exact opposite. You have to recognize your sin. You have to identify it. You have to own it. And that requires humility, doesn't it? And that's why this first step's the difficult one. Because you're saying, yes, that is me. And we don't like doing that. You know, I was taught that saying sorry isn't good enough. Someone said to me, you mustn't say sorry. You must say, let's say I've done something to Kaniso. I mustn't just say, sorry, sorry, Kaniso. I must rather say, hey, Kaniso, you are right. I am wrong. Would you please forgive me? That's a little bit higher, huh? Because <laughs> now I'm owning that what I did wrong. So recognizing isn't easy, but it is the path to the gift of repentance. Amen? Should we move on? The E, remember, you're going to be gracious towards me here, huh? So the R is recognize your sin. The E is enter. Come to God. Why? Because you know what He's like. Come to Him. Repentance isn't just feeling bad about your sin. Repentance isn't wallowing, oh, woe is me, I'm just such a bad believer and I just can't believe that I... No, that's not repentance, that's wallowing. Repentance is not wallowing in your guilt and your shame. Repentance is getting up from your guilt and shame and going into the presence of God. It's returning to God. You see, sin's trajectory is away from God. But repentance's trajectory is towards God. It is coming to God. And so when you repent, that's what you need to do. You need to come to God. And when you come, you come with the confidence that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 gives you. It says in 1 John 1, 9, you should underline this till it comes out the back of your Bible. If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you will just confess your sin, if you will own it and come to Him, He is faithful to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So brothers and sisters, when we've done something wrong, when we need the gift of repentance, we need to recognize that we've done wrong, but then we need to come. We need to enter the presence of God. And actually, you see that in Psalm 51, verse 1. David writes this, 
when he recognized his sin, then he does this. He comes into God's presence and he says to God, have mercy on me, O God. Why? Because of or according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. So as David's coming, he's coming knowing who he's coming to. I'm coming to the God of steadfast love. I'm coming to the God of abundant mercy. That's why I'm coming. So when you come into God's presence, come knowing who He is. Come with the same confidence that we see uh, in in the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16, who says this, Let us then with confidence, say with confidence, with confidence, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of? The throne of judgment. No, the throne of grace. Why? So that at that place, because we came, because we entered, we will receive the grace and the mercy that we need. Hallelujah. So if the first part of repentance is recognizing, the second part of repentance is coming to God because you know who God is. You're not wondering whether He'll accept you. You know He will accept you because of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The third uh, letter in repentance stands for proclaim. This is the tough one. This was a bit of license here. I had to squeeze this one in. What do I mean by that? Well, it basically means tell God or confess to God your sin and ask Him to forgive you. So you recognize your sin, you come to God, but then when you're in God's presence, this is when you say, I know I've done wrong. And what is it that I've done wrong? And so you own your sin and you're sorrowful over your sin before God. You tell God what it is that you have done or what you haven't done that you should have done. And so you end up coming with this attitude of what uh, the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 7.10 calls godly grief which leads us to true repentance, salvation, and freedom. So you come before God sorrowful. Lord, I'm so sorry that I've sinned. I'm not wallowing in my sin, but I am sorrowful that I've, I've gone this way, that I've done this thing. But then you don't stay there. You also ask God for His forgiveness. So in God's presence, you own your sin, you proclaim it, but you also ask God to forgive you because of Jesus because of your Savior. Amen? Knowing, Titus 2.14 is a verse that you can look up. Because as you ask Jesus to forgive you of his sin, you know that Titus 2.14 tells us that Jesus gave himself for you for two things. One, to redeem you from sin and to purify for himself a people. And so that's why Jesus died. When we break bread just now, remember Jesus died to purify you from sin to redeem you from your sin, and to purify a people that are his very own. And so David does this in Psalm 51, verses 7 and 9. He's recognized his sin, he's entered into the presence of God, and here he proclaims or he confesses what he's done and asks God to forgive forgive him. He says this, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. 
So we recognize our sin, we enter God's presence, we proclaim our sin before God, and we ask Him to forgive us. Then fourthly, this is also a bit, this is a bit of a preacher's one. The next letters are E-N. Inquire. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change your heart. Just press the pause button for a moment. If you are needing to repent, it means you've sinned, right? And if you have ever sinned, it means something has gone wrong in your heart. It's not what you did on the outside that matters. It's why you did that matters. What you did was the result of something inside your heart. Every time we sin, brothers and sisters, there's always a problem at a heart level. Whenever we sinned, whenever we sin, we have loved something more than we've loved God. And so what we need to do as we come to God's presence and we ask Him, we acknowledge our sin and we ask Him to forgive us, David leads us in also asking God to help us to change our hearts so that we won't just end up right back in the same place again. And so David actually prays in Psalm 51 verse 10, he inquires of God and he says, God, would you create in me a clean heart? Would you renew a right spirit? I, I got you because of a wrong spirit. I got you because of a wrong thing in my heart. God, would you put a new thing in my heart? Would you renew my heart? Would you put a new spirit in me that's different to what got me in this place? And so the root of our problem is our sin is actually in our heart. And so David asks God to deal with the source of his sin, which is actually at the heart, a heart that doesn't love God enough. And so when you're repenting, ask God to change your heart. Ask God to help your heart to be aligned to his heart. It says in Ephesians 5.10, find out what pleases God. Have the desire in your heart. Say, God, would you give me a desire to please you so that we won't just get back here again in a flash. So to repent is to recognize your sin, to enter into God's presence, to proclaim or confess your sin to God, to ask Him to forgive you, and then to inquire of God, to ask God to change your heart. And lastly, this one's an easy one, T, thank God and receive His forgiveness. Receive God's forgiveness. Full of thanks to God. Receive the gift that repentance is through Jesus. Know that as, uh, as was quoted earlier in our service in Psalm 103, that when you ask God to forgive you, He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And how far is the east from the west? It is infinitely far. It's so vital, brothers and sisters, that we get to thanksgiving, that we don't just stay wallowing in our sorrow over our sin. Because once we've asked God to forgive us, that's exactly what he does. He forgives us and he sets us free. If you wallow feeling sad or sorry or disappointed in your sin, you're essentially saying to Jesus that what he did for you on the cross wasn't enough. Because you've asked him to forgive you because of what he did on the cross, but you're staying wallowing around in sorrow, then what you're actually saying is this wasn't enough. What you did on the cross wasn't enough for me. Brothers and sisters, wallowing in your sin 
doesn't honor Jesus in any way. Being forgiven and walking free honors your Savior. Amen? 1 John 1, 9, you can go look it up. I don't have it on the screen. It contains a guarantee. It contains a guarantee that God will forgive you if you confess your sin. And the guarantee in 1 John 1, 9 is because God says He is faithful. And I always teach people to say, who is God faithful to? And you might say, to me, because I've asked Him to forgive me of my sin. But that's not who God's being faithful to in 1 John 1, 9. The person God's being faithful to is Jesus. Because Jesus paid for your sin in full. He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. I've paid it in full. And so if God didn't forgive you, he'd be unjust to Jesus. Because Jesus paid for that sin. So when you ask God to forgive you because Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin, God will be faithful to Jesus. And the good thing is that you get the benefit God is faithful. He sees Jesus paid for that sin, so he forgives you of your sin. And what honors Jesus and what honors God the Father is you walking free from your sin, grateful, thanking Jesus for what he's done for you. Amen? David did not wallow in his sin for the rest of his life. He got up off the floor, and he got on with serving Jesus, uh, with serving God as, as God's king. And so I want to say to you, brothers and sisters of Reconciliation Road Church, do not be defined by your sin. The devil wants to put a label on you and and define you by the sin or the mistakes that you've made. Do not be defined by your sin that doesn't honor your Savior, but be defined by redemption and forgiveness in Jesus. That's what we should be defined by. God answered David's prayer for forgiveness And 1 John 1, 9 promises that God will answer yours too. If you confess your sin, He will be faithful. He will be just. And He will forgive you. And when God has forgiven you, thank Jesus. Worship Jesus like we did this morning. Honor Jesus' gift by receiving His forgiveness and walking free. Amen? I hope that little silly little list there helps you to remember how to repent. One more thing that I want to touch on before we close with communion. How do you know whether your repentance is genuine? You might say, I I know I've prayed, I know I've repented, but how do I know it was genuine? Maybe you're thinking, that very thought right now. Well, John the baptizer, the fiery preacher here, doesn't leave us wondering how we'll know. In Luke 3, verses 7 and 9, he says this. And he said to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, You brood of vipers! Whoa. You snakes! Imagine me just saying, You bunch of snakes! That's what he says to them. You brood of snakes, of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. That's what God really wants. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abram as our father. He was speaking to Jewish people primarily. 
For I tell you, God is able to, uh, from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Man, if this was a preaching class, we'd have to say John the baptizer has the dial for challenge. He's broken the dial. He's got the dial turned up so high here. So what is going on here? And how can this help us to know whether our repentance is genuine? Well, really what John is doing is he's preparing the way for Jesus. These spiritually blind and arrogant Jewish leaders that were around him were the very same people who would resist Jesus and kill him. And John kind of feels that, I feel. And so he had his dial turned up into challenge mode here, and he calls people out for their pharisaical, dishonest motives for being in the crowd around him. He knows that they're not there to repent. They're there to judge his message and to try and catch him out, and later on they'll get him beheaded. They have unrepentant hearts, and he can feel it. But in it, there's a key for us today. How can you know your repentance is genuine? John essentially says in verse 8 that true repentance will show itself by the attitudes and the actions that follow. So how will you know if you've repented? Your life starts to change on the outside. Remember we said repentance is a heart thing, it's, a, it's an inside thing, but it starts to become an outside thing when it's genuine. The fruit of our lives shows that we have, in fact, repented in a true way. And so, brothers and sisters, if you want to ever know, have I really repented of this thing or that thing? John would say to you, you just have to inspect the fruit. You just have to inspect the results in your life after that thing that has followed your repentance. So remember, to repent is to change, it's to turn around, it's to turn back to God, it's to change your trajectory, all from a heart perspective, but it will result in external changes too. Amen. I want to encourage you to stand and to get the elements of communion, and then I want to close my message by leading you through a prayer of repentance. And uh, the guys who are on the grass, there's uh, communion elements here, come and grab them. Let's all, go, let's all go now and let's grab the elements of communion. Come back to your seats and then I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. You can stay standing. Why don't you just close your eyes? A few more people just getting the elements. Brothers and sisters, the truth is, none of us has lived a perfect life. Amen? All of us make mistakes. All of us do things that we shouldn't do as believers. And we omit to do things that we should do. But we can thank God this morning. And I want you to thank God in your heart. Why don't you even just start saying to him right now, 
in your own words. Thank you for the gift of repentance. You know, people in the world don't know what to do with their shame and their guilt, but we are believers in Jesus. And what you're holding in your hands is what you can do with shame and guilt. Jesus died on the cross that you would not be defined by your mistakes. You'd not be defined by your sin anymore, but you'd be defined by his glory and his grace. You'd be defined by his work on the cross for you. And so Lord, as we stand here before you, we wanna say thank you for these elements that remind us that your body was broken and that your blood flowed, Jesus, so that we could be forgiven of our sin. If only we would recognize it, if we would come into your presence, if we'd tell our sin before you and ask you to forgive us, Lord God, if we'd ask you to change our hearts, and if we would walk free with thanks, Lord, if we would just do that, this gift would be ours. So Lord, I just bring your church to you right now, and I pray, Lord, if there's any of us, maybe you... Before you take communion today, maybe you need to say, God, show me my sin because I haven't even seen it. Lord, is there anything? David prays that in Psalm 139. Lord, search my heart and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe you need it this morning to say, Lord, is there something I'm not seeing? Is there something I've done or not done? that has displeased you? Is there something I'm in right now? Ask God to show you. And if he shows you something, why don't you, with the elements in your hands, repent. Don't just repent today. Let's live lives, lifestyles of repentance. But repent today. And ask God to forgive you. And then receive the forgiveness of God because that honors Jesus and what he did on the cross for you. Lord Jesus, thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Thank you for everyone who's maybe even watching this online. And I thank you for this glorious gift of repentance. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not just know that there's this gift, but leave it on the side. But Lord, we would access this gift, that we would use this gift. Lord, we would be set free from sin and we would delight in the forgiveness of you, our Savior. And we would walk free, full of gratitude. Lord Jesus, thank you for this gift of repentance. When you're ready, if you need to pray, then pray. But when you're ready, why don't you break the bread and drink the grape juice, which reminds us of Jesus' blood. Shed for us. Thank you, Lord. What a Savior. We worship you, Jesus. I pray, Lord God, for my brother or sister who's maybe aware of something this morning and who's repented, I want to pray that the joy of the Lord would be their strength and that they would skip out of this place today and skip into their week because they have you as their Savior. I want to ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. God bless you. So lovely to be together. So lovely to have so many people on the grass. And next week, we'll all be in the room, we hope. Amen. Go and give uh, someone a, a warm fist pump, especially if they've just joined the church today.